0: You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Kate Parente, Chief People Officer at Pega. MPL family, stop what you're doing and take five seconds to go subscribe to the MPL Weekly Digest. Every week, we'll share the top three takeaways from the episode, along with the full transcript. Just go to the show notes for this episode and click the link to subscribe. And now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Hello,
1: Daniel and Kate. Welcome to another episode of the Modern People Leader.
0: it going on?
1: Everyone feeling good? Tuesday late afternoon I'm got ga- I got to be honest this is uh I need this to to kind of round out my day in a in a powerful kind of positive way cuz I'm uh I'm still slu- slugging through I-, I don't know slugging through it feels like a slow walk through mud in yeah. this confidential process that I keep talking about that I can't talk about um but that's where I'm at on a Tuesday. I'm ready to have a great conversation with uh, with some friends here. So yeah. I'm looking forward to this. We'll- Very
2: cool. Same here.
1: Kate, as you know, we have a few rituals on the Modern People Leader. We like to kick things off with good news stories, just a personal or work-related story from the past couple weeks that, uh, that we want to give a shout out and just get the conversation off to kind of a, a, a grateful way.
2: Perfect. Happy to share. Um, So here in Connecticut, um, we're going through a little bit of a snowstorm today, and I'm just kind of returning from what was February break for my kids. So I have four children. My youngest is six years old and my oldest is 15. And about, I guess it was five or six years ago, I started this tradition of taking off uh, February break and dedicating a day to each of my kids. So I don't know if, you know, if either of you have kids that think you do, but it tends to happen such that the more kids you have, the less likely likely it is that any one of them is making any decisions. <laughs> it's typically, we're going here. Do you want to come or don't you want to come? So, <laughs> uh, so giving them sort of like the blank piece of paper on Monday morning and having them pick and kind of like argue over which day they're going to get and then seeing kind of what they come up with on paper is really just a fun and exciting thing for me as a mom anyway. And I always get super surprised. So let me think of... Um, One or two things that we did that really kind of knocked my socks off. Um, My youngest daughter wanted to have breakfast in bed one day, and then she wanted to get her ears pierced.
1: Oh, Uh, my God.
2: I guess the surprise to that was that I also got my ears pierced again, (laughs) because she wanted to see how that was going to go. My oldest daughter, who is 12 going on uh, 27, wanted to open a bank account, and I hadn't been to a bank in real life in a long time so that was interesting um my youngest son who is nine years old wanted to see a broadway show and so that was very exciting we went to see aladdin and then uh my oldest son who is the simplest of them all 15 years old he wanted to go to the mall and he wanted to have lunch at a place called salsa fresca Hmm.
1: That's like a, just like a burrito,
0: like a taco place. Exactly. That. It's like, That's you know, my style.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks to to growing up with, with two brothers and never being able to like reach a consensus on what we wanted to do. And it was always so frustrating when my little brother, my older brother got to pick. I mean, I was the middle child, so it felt like I never got my way. But you're right. It was like, all right, I guess I'm either going with them and having to eat whatever it is they want to eat or I'm staying home by myself, so I think that's super cool that that you dedicated a day to each of your kids.
1: My good news, my good news is that I have the weather has been absolutely phenomenal in Austin, and I think I've gone for bike rides like three out of the last four days. And nothing like crazy road, like cycling, but for me, any chance I, I I got an Apple watch for Christmas and I've just been obsessed with this thing and like making sure I get my exercise time in. And I've, this year I've learned to kind of embrace like the long walks and just ordinary bike rides in the neighborhood. And so that's my good news is I've gotten three rides in the last four days, which feels
2: awesome. Wow. Just rubbing it in as I sit here and uh, weather the storm here in Connecticut.
0: Yeah, not cool, Stephen. I need to challenge <laughs> you on uh, Apple Fitness to a competition. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So my good news. Um, so I'm going to Mexico City this weekend. We we leave on Thursday. So uh, it feels like yesterday, today and tomorrow are all going to be a bit chaotic or have been chaotic and will continue to be chaotic, just trying to fit in all of the work before I leave. But I'm really excited. I've never been to Mexico City. We're going for one of my wife's best friend's uh, wedding. And um, we're going to be there for, I think, three nights. So just looking forward to exploring a a new city and and getting out of town for a few days. And have you been to
1: have you been to mexico city before daniel no i haven't no oh wow yeah it is completely amazing completely overwhelming and having i think you're probably like me i've been to like cancun and like the the usual kind of beach spots yeah and going to mexico city which is one of the largest cities in the world it's just the culture behind it and the history with the aztec stuff it's just I I love it um some people think it's a little too chaotic and crazy but I think it's pretty amazing so
0: yeah we're gonna have forward a lot to of fun. it
1: well Kate, hey, we we want to hear all about your story you know we I call this the Brene Brown cre- question like tell us your story like tell us what you've gone through and what what it took to 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 get to where you are today being the chief people officer at pega um you know tell us a little bit about what that journey looked like for you
2: sure steven you may you may regret asking me that question because i feel like i like to always start like way way back um
1: thank you um, thank you no we want to
2: go we want (laughs) to go all the way back i feel like the hr stories they're always kind of you know peppered with very um similar threads i think people who get into hr end up kind of taking a very similar path through organizations but for me I guess I would say my path through HR was anything but traditional. So when I go back to sort of like high school, I took my SATs and I had, you know, three points shy of a um, perfect math SAT score. And I'm sorry, 10 points. I don't think three is possible. 10 points shy of a perfect math SAT score. And my dad was actually an engineer. And so when I went on to college, it was sort of like a no-brainer for me to study computer science. And back then, not a lot of girls were signing up for computer science. So I didn't really know what it was, but I was willing to give it a shot. And after my first year studying comp sci, and I I did really like it. I liked solving problems. I liked coding. Um, I got an internship. And I got an internship at a technology company in Cambridge, Massachusetts, And I was basically QAing encryption technology, which later became a very big thing. But it was at the end of my summer internship that the head of HR approached me. And she said, So you seem really approachable. Can you give me some feedback about the intern program? And I said, Yes. I'm dying for someone to ask me that. I said, The highlight of my summer was the bowling event. And she was like, What? (laughs) <laughs> she thought like we did some like, you know, kind of hackathon at the bowling alley. But I was like, no, 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 no. The bowling event was exciting for me because I actually got to talk to people and understand what they do at this company. And it was not just me and my binder. And I remember her saying to me, what are you interested in doing now that you've learned kind of about what different people at our company do? And I said, I'm not sure what I, what I'm going to do or what I want to do, but I do know that I do not want to. And she had said, she had said, you know what, you should come back and you should intern in HR next summer, because there's no really better place to be in an organization to get to know kind of behind the scenes what everyone else is doing. And it kind of became history from there. I did come back the next summer and I did intern in HR. And I guess what I would say about sort of my path and my journey as an HR person is that. It was pretty nerdy, like coming from like a comp sci background, even though I didn't kind of finish that out in college, I always had that sort of like frame of mind. And so I was always that HR person who was like building databases to collect information. You know, my first job out of college was at Goldman Sachs and it was in a very niche group focused on equity plan design. And I don't think in the the field of HR, it gets any more nerdy than that. But from there, I really kind of forged my path through really the back end of HR. So, you know, not talking to people, not partnering with people, kind of hiding from that part of things. And it took me probably a good 15 or 16 years to have a conversation with, you know, the then CEO of the company that I was working for, who said, you really are the person to take this sort of business partner model forward for us. And I remember having this conversation with him and saying, no way I am not going to be dealing with people. Anytime people are dealing with me, like I'm the comp person, I'm the benefits person. You know, people are usually angry or frustrated. That's not for me. And he said, what are you talking about? You work with Tony and you work with Chris and you work with so-and-so. And I said, yeah, but those are just my friends. And he's like, The heads of sales and trading are your friends. I was like, yeah, they are. (laughs) And and I remember literally this light bulb going off, just thinking, you know, oh wait, is that what is that what being an HR business partner is? And like I said, that wasn't that wasn't that long ago, but it was a big a big dive for me, a big chance that I took. Um, And what brought me to Pega? Actually, what's interesting about about that is that you know Pega is very much a technology company we are you know kind of you know the the best of the best in terms of engineers we are providing the best technology product out there to our clients and our ceo was a big nerd so uh, me coming up the sort of hr track in the nerdy way almost set me up perfectly for for this introduction and in fact my introduction to pega was pretty untraditional in the sense that i wasn't looking for a job they really weren't looking for me our paths just kind of crossed pretty organically. I think I said something to someone who knew our CEO and they said, Hey, do do you know Alan Treffler? You just said something that he says all the time. And it was something about like running HR, like a business. And that's how we met.
1: Wow. What, what a great story. And so it looks, if if I'm not mistaken, Pega is the first chief people officer role that you've had. Is that is that true? It is
2: in fact, yes. Okay.
1: And and so what, you know, was it the right time? I'm just curious. You're you're you've you've been in a role for a while. It sounds like you're well established in your prior role, you're connected to the CEO, you're getting stretched in, in various ways, you're being asked to do things. It feels like that was probably a, a pretty comfortable place to be in and 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 now you've made a change. And was there any sort of catalyst or what it was? It just happened to be the right, the right move with the right company. What was that decision like? Because I, I, I yeah. find like there are a lot of uh, more experienced HR people like ourselves that are in that role and they're feeling good about where they are. And especially now, there's a lot of uncertainty and uh, the markets have been somewhat, somewhat tumultuous. Uh, and so for those that are out there struggling to make a decision with where they're at, like. You know, do you mind just sharing what was going on with you when you made that decision to, uh, to, to take the leap, to, to become a chief people officer?
2: Absolutely. So I am without a doubt, a product of the great resignation um, or what people then called the great reshuffle, certainly not the great regret, but I went, I was working at a company for, you know, five or six years, certainly through the pandemic as sort of the head of HR for a technology division. So it was about 7,000 of their 10,000 employees. When I had this call from somebody, actually this person was asking me for a reference for a friend of mine for a chief people officer role. And this is the same group of people who were looking for the next Chief People Officer at PEGA. And I remember that conversation and really just kind of sharing a little bit about myself and a little bit about the person that I was giving a reference for, what I admired most about that person, what kind of drives me to work in HR. And essentially, I spent five, six years um, building out that sort of partnership model at a company that had been, for all intents and purposes, sort of like a 40-year-old startup. And so having kind of spent a greater part of five years building that and working with people and and going through change, hearing about the story of Pega, who this year we are turning 40 years old and hearing about sort of some of the things that they were struggling with and hearing about being fascinated by um, the deep, rich history that exists at this company got me really thinking. And I, I think, you know... That just feeling that you just described to me that others in HR have, I certainly had that feeling, right? I was thinking, hey, I'm doing this job, I'm working in, in FinTech, this works for me, I've been been home for some number of, of, of months now with the pandemic, you know, why make a change? And I have to tell you, it was probably in my first two or three weeks in the role at Pega that I a conversation with somebody who was not at PEGA and not at my previous employer. And they said, hey, how's it going? And I said, listen, this is what sums it up. I worked at my previous employer for six years and I did a a lot of cool things. And I spoke at one company meeting, one company meeting in six years. I've been at PEGA for three weeks and I had spoken at two company meetings. And so just kind of being in a place where I knew that I could like touch people more than like the five or the 10 or the 20 people that I work with every day, but really having like an opportunity to, to like touch people more broadly and get the feedback that people learned from me or appreciated the way that I was talking just made me feel I had made the right choice and that I could do it.
1: I love that story. And so when you, you run into a Friend you haven't seen in a while, and you've given them the quick update, and they ask, "Oh, Pega, what what does Pega do? Like, what what's your what's your elevator pitch response to to that?"
2: So funny. Um, well, I've actually honed my elevator pitch because my son, who's fifteen, um, had like a eighth grade career day, and so I had to kind of like go in there and spend like a good forty five minutes talking to these kids about you know HR, what's HR. Mm-hmm. And then my six-year-old- so awesome. do, you,
1: do you think they got it? Do you think they walked away oh, with totally. That? I
2: mean, like, you know, my six-year-old guessed it now, right? She's like, oh, Love my mom, she helps people do their job better. And when, I, when well, we talk well about- Well said. When we talk about Pega, you know, I always say Pega is, you know, a company that works with really, really big companies who have a lot of customers. And we help them make their customers' um, experience better. So like, if you think about an Amazon and the way that Amazon kind of tells you what you might be interested in, we build the technology that helps Amazon in order to tell you what those products that you might be interested in. And my kids all know and love Amazon, of course.
1: Who doesn't? Yeah. And so, and so why should we be jealous that you get to work there?
2: In my entire career, this is probably going to sound a little bit cheesy or cliche, but I've found like pockets of people. Pockets of people that would call my people, right? Like friends, you know, people you could kind of like complain with, you know, um, any any number of things, right? You would go have a drink with after work, whatever it might be. And I I feel like I've never quite felt that the immediate team that I had in any of the roles I've had was really a collective group of people that I would call my people. And the one thing about the leadership team at Pega, you know, I thought at first, geez, I'm going to be kind of the head of a function on the executive leadership team no one's gonna want to talk to me no one's going to want to be my friend this is going to be a lonely job but it turns out that I found my people there are a number of folks on our executive leadership team I described to you already our CEO Alan Treffler who's a big nerd um just like me and the other folks on our leadership team you know you might pull up our company website and be like whoa like what you're in a sea of white guys. But what I would tell you is that our leadership team is pretty dynamic, pretty interesting, very fun, um, and we genuinely enjoy each other. So that's pretty special. I mean, I think if anyone here has had a job, right, you know that that's not always an automatic.
1: Yeah. And at the executive level, if, if people are still having fun, then you know it's a good, it's a good dynamic because there's no shortage of emergency area focus or threat to the business or insert, you know, the headline, the negative headline of the week type of thing that, that executives are having to respond to. And so I feel like this is a good, a good measure of like what it's really like right now at companies and and the cultures, just how things are playing out. And so um, I love to hear that. And, and so my first question to you kind of relates to that uncertainty and and so I'm curious you're a lifer essentially a career hr person and so what are some of the things that you get excited about waking up every morning some of the challenges that we're facing in at pega in the people space in general just in life like what what are some of those things that are really kind of friend of mind for you that that get you jazzed up
2: yeah Um, So I've spent a lot of time over the past year or so being in my first chief people officer CHRO role, doing a lot of networking. I am on the governing board of the New York City CHRO Gartner sponsored group. I've joined a couple of other networks regionally in Massachusetts, which is where PEGA is headquartered. And There's just this constant theme. I feel like, number one, it's never been a better time to be in HR, right? To to be invited to the eighth grade career day, that was a big moment for me. And there's truly just this paradigm shift that's happening right now. And I think that there's no question about it that no one has the answer, right? We're all searching for these answers about, you know, the future of work. You know, is it remote? Is it hybrid? How are we going to maintain All the goodness, I think, that came out of the years 2020 through 2022, but also how are we going to move forward? And so our workforce is truly becoming global. I am actually the only executive at my company who is fully remote. And so, you know, being sort of like the spokesperson for that, but also being at the forefront of helping people to navigate that and thinking about how we're going to disrupt the future of work, just by the sheer nature of how we work together and how we kind of develop what will become, dare I say, the new normal, as some people have said. I think this sort of massive shift in how we collaborate is pretty exciting. Um, It's given me certainly perspective in terms of different people and different regions that I've been able to interact with simply because I'm not commuting or simply because they're not commuting. So, I'm super lucky to be working for a, um, a company that I think is kind of right at the forefront of building for change and really embracing that change. But it does give me some level of excitement to sit around a table or a room with other, you know, CHROs and chief, chief people officers who are basically saying the same thing. Hey, we're just trying to figure this out.
1: You know, as, a, as an HR lifer, a career HR person, as Josh person, we had him on the show in January What is looking back, what, you know, let's fast forward 10 years from now and looking back to this kind of phase of, of existence in the workplace, what do you think is going to be the biggest takeaway? Like the one thing we look back and say like, God, that was so obvious, but you know, we, of course we're doing it this way now. Like, what do you think that one monumental shift is going to be from this, this era that we're working through?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just that realization that there is truly no kind of, you know, one size fits all. I think, you know, I've seen a number of companies, some of them are the more traditional companies for sure. And I think I've even seen Pega, you know, be tempted to go with, you know, gee, should we be the, the one to two day a week hybrid company or should we be four days in, you know? And I've seen companies just as quickly as they've issued sort of like their mandate, pull it back with some regret, right? Because they saw people just kind of be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll just go get another job. We've come up with something called magnet, not a mandate. We're standing pretty pretty firm on that. But I think if I were to like flash forward, like you said, and, and kind of like look back, it would definitely be this whole one size does not fit all. We are all figuring this out together. Flexibility is key.
0: Yeah, and that's something that we're hearing quite a bit on the show. And uh, to your point that nobody really has this figured out, one of the main reasons that we started this podcast was that so we could provide a platform where people could talk about some of the experiments they're running while they're trying to figure this out. You know, like we started this podcast two years ago and uh, we had a feeling that there was going to be, we, we had a feeling that, that history was going to be made and there was going to be a lot of changes, but I don't think we had really anticipated how much, Change actually has happened. So I as you said, it's really exciting. I, I still remember ha- having the, the light bulb moment. I was I was three months into a new role at Udacity working for the enterprise marketing team and COVID hit. And I remember thinking, like, holy shit, I I thought that I had interest in the HR space, but I want to double down on this. Like I've never personally worked in HR, but I've always worked. As a marketer for HR tech companies. And I was like, I need to learn as much as I possibly can about the space because it really feels like this is the most exciting time ever for, for an HR practitioner. And it feels like HR is going to do a lot of great work. So uh, as you were you were sharing how uh, you, you feel like we're witnessing history and you're able to experiment with new things, I all I could think about was that. So Hega, y'all have what, 6,000 employees? I think that's what I saw on LinkedIn
2: just about
0: yeah okay and how many people are on the people team
2: we have just about 150 folks on our people team
0: okay so 150 people can you can you give us a quick breakdown of how the the team is structured this is something that we're we're finding our listeners really enjoy hearing because like you say there's no one size fits all approach so i think they like to hear what what different how different companies are structuring their people team And, you know, maybe y'all are doing something that, that, that our listeners can maybe steal something from and and adopt for themselves.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we have a couple of different unique naming conventions at PEGA. We have have our HR business partners are actually called talent advisory partners, and we have a number of folks organized in those verticals. So we have talent advisory for our go-to-market functions, talent advisory for our corporate functions and talent advisory partners for our technology group. One of the things that I've done, I guess in the past years, really kind of bring together all of our talent attraction professionals. So we had sort of a number of folks who were going out to the market and, and, and recruiting kind of spread out within the functions. And we've really brought them all together under one global leader. I would say another interesting thing about this, the way we've structured the people team is that we've got sort of our people ops, our comp, all of our sort of, you know, benefits and COE work um, umbrellaed together under what we call people services. And obviously with the exciting chatbot bot features and all the AI that's coming out, that's certainly at the forefront of things that we're thinking about. So we're pretty heavily invested there in actually some technologists who are doing that work. We are also very much in tune with our culture and values. And so one of my direct reports, who is based out of the UK, leads all of our employer brand and employee experience. This is a new role for me, right? I came from a sort of fintech background. Financial services companies tend to be a little bit more traditional. You know, sure, we talked about employee value proposition. We talked about cultures and culture and values, but it was kind of always like, yeah, do that off the side of your desk right? In addition to your job. So truly having someone and a team, we actually have a pretty awesome team. One of our folks is down in Texas, um, spread out all over the world, focused on employee experience and the employee value proposition. We also have folks who are dedicated to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I think another interesting twist on how we're organized there is that that function is joined at the hip right now with our learning and development team. And there's so much about d e and I or d e and I and b or i and d, whatever you want to call it. There's so much that it's just about like learning and teaching and sharing um that it felt like a no-brainer to me at least um to bring those two functions together,
0: yeah. thanks for thanks for sharing that. and i I feel like we're hearing we're hearing that pretty often. We had Bernard Coleman from Gusto on. And I think that episode just went live like yesterday for us. And uh, he's the chief diversity and engagement officer. So they decided to bring together the engagement function with the with all of DEIB. So it's interesting to hear the different uh, approaches that companies are taking. It sounds like y'all have the L and D team working hand in hand with with DEIB, and that also makes sense. So it's again, it's cool to hear the the different approaches and. Like you said, there's no one-size-fits-all. So I, I want to go back to something that you said earlier related to the office. You were saying that you want to make the office a magnet, not a mandate. So can you can you expand on that a little bit?
2: Sure. So um, I think this was actually something that our CEO said in an earnings call when I was interviewing. And I picked up on it. I don't know if he did it on purpose or if it was an accident. But I I remember writing it down and drawing like a bunch of circles around it and being like, yes, that's right. That's how it has to be. And interestingly enough, more recently, right, it was very easy to say our offices are a magnet and not a mandate because people were literally just going in when others were there and it was more of a social thing. I think as we start to kind of forge uh, forward and try to plan a little bit more and have some structure. Um, which, by the way, is what our people are asking us for, right? People are like, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what makes sense. Um, You think about like, you know, junior people, right? People who are maybe this is their first job out of college, who are just hungry to like be in the room with someone who is talking about something that might resonate with them. And so we're trying to kind of bring a little bit more structure. And so we're really hanging on to that magnet, not a mandate under the premise that, There's some research out there, right? That says that collaboration and intense collaboration in particular is good for people. It's good for people, it's good for innovation. It's good for just building camaraderie. I think back to my early career days and I used to just, you know, bomb into Madison Avenue at eight in the morning and I'd be there till like midnight, right? And like those people that I was working with at the time like kind of like that mid career phase those were like my friends still to this day. Those are people, I go to their weddings, I you know, go to their children's, you know, birthday parties. And so when we talk about magnet, not a mandate, we want to bring together the best of all of that stuff, right? The goodness of collaborating with your team, the goodness of getting exposed to people you otherwise wouldn't get exposed to, the goodness of having a platform where people can just come together and like have a meal, tell some jokes. We're talking about because we truly are hybrid and we have a number of folks, I would say our organization is split kind of like 40, 60, 60% of our organization is either in every day because their job requires them to, that's a very small population, or they're coming in one, two, three, four days a week. The other 40% are 100% remote. And so we're talking about piloting something soon called connection week. So, rather than you know say, "Hey, everybody get in once a week or twice a week, we're going to do some fun stuff once a quarter, and we're going to call those our sort of magnet connection weeks.
0: I really like that idea. can you uh, can you give us a little inside look at at what the first connection weeks and look like, what you'll have planned? or is it still Absolutely. in the works?
2: Absolutely. I mean that I just get giddy talking about stuff like that. <laughs> it's like planning a it's like planning a birthday party. So yeah. we turn as a company, we turn 40 on April 21st and our first connection week is gonna be the week following. And so we were planning on doing a number of sort of just celebrations, obviously some sort of team building exercises by team. And then also we want to invite people to bring sort of what is their, the personal aspect of their life into the office. And so for every connection week, we're going to try to run something special. You know, one idea that was pitched to me was um, one of our employees is part of a family who runs a gluten-free brewery. And so we we talked about potentially having a, um, a, a a tasting of some sort or a demonstration, um, and that sounded really cool to me.
0: Well, happy uh, happy early 40th birthday to, to Pega. That's exciting. So going back to the Pega people team, and this is a question that we don't really ever get a chance to ask, but just curious, like, what do you think? sets the PEGA people team apart from other people teams? Like, is there anything that that you would say is is unique about the way that the PEGA people team operates versus other people teams that you've been on? Just curious if you think that there's like any one or two things that that are key to the to team success.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, so one thing I would say is first and foremost, you know, there are a number of folks on my team who have been at PEGA for a long, long time. And so that deep, rich history that I talked about that exists with the company, it exists also on our people team. And I don't think I've had the experience of working with folks on my immediate team who had been part of a company for such a long time. And so that's pretty special, pretty unique. The second piece that probably resonates so near and dear to me is the fact that we take an analytical approach to most things that we're working on. So I think that A, you know, fits with sort of my style of working, sort of driving to decisions through data, I guess, would be how I'd describe myself. But I'd also describe most of our people team being oriented to the same sort of way of thinking and the same way of making decisions and presenting problems. We typically... Don't do anything without first sort of crowdsourcing information. And so I think you guys probably remember a time when an employee survey was a thing that happened once a year, right? We are accustomed to just surveying the heck out of people, not to be annoying, but just to like get their ideas. And that's really where some of the most exciting things that we've done were born. Last year, we heard from a number of people like burnout is real right? We need to stop this. No meeting Friday, every Friday does not work. What are we going to do? And through some forms of feedback and an engagement working group that we established, we came up with, you know, let's just do no meeting Friday every three weeks. And let's layer onto that quarterly wellness day. And we've had a phenomenal response to stuff like that.
1: So cool. I love that. We, we did the same. We, we went to, after weeks and weeks and podcasts and podcasts of talking about a four-day work week. We I we tested it out. We I talked to the company uh, and this is Workify, not the modern people leader. This is the modern people leader is just Daniel and I. And so my other business, Workify, we um we talked about it as a team, talked about some challenges, practicalities, made sure that, you know, everyone would be able to kind of adhere to a four-day work week. And we we agreed to pilot it for two months and here we are like almost a year and a half later and we still like, we still have that. So we, we do a four day work week every other week and it's kind of the, the flexible future that worked out for us. And it, um you know, we love it. It, you know, having that time to, and, and a lot of times I still work, but it, having that additional time and that flexibility that, you know, if there is something like, crunch on a particular deliverable or something that really needs my attention that I have, that I can have full focus on that day. Or if there's some personal matters that I need to take care of also, <laughs> I can, can focus on that, on the, on that day. And so I'm a big believer in data driving the decisions you're making for, for your people. And so I love to hear that you guys have what, what I would call like a modern, employee listening program. I think that is so vital and still to this day, companies that say they have an employee listening program, but they're only doing an annual engagement survey or they're doing kind of haphazard pulse surveys and, and calling that employee listening. And so um, like you, I think the hallmarks of a listening program are getting the ability channels to get employee feedback and data that are going to drive decisions that you make going forward. And so love all of that my one of the things that i read in preparing for this conversation was a a blog and i i believe it was from you being six months into your job and it was a an article that essentially described a conversation between you and ceo alan about your 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 rhythms that you have in place and i just was so impressed that the ceo well, you jointly, you know, felt so confident about this rhythm that you guys had in place that you wanted to share it with others through your blog. And, and so I'm curious, like six months later, you know, X, X months later, is this still happening? You know, this, uh, I believe it was a daily rhythm. Um, is this still happening? And, you know, what are some of the, uh, you know, would you recommend this approach to, to others?
2: Absolutely. So um, that was a funny story. I think Alan and I were being interviewed by somebody. um, I think it was um, maybe turned into a blog, but I remember when she asked the question. In fact, when she asked the question, I don't think she was expecting that answer. I think her question was to Alan and it was, you know, how many times per week do you guys meet? And what do you talk about? And I think Alan shocked her when he was like, a week he was like we talk at least once a day and you know that that speaks probably a little bit about who I am but it also speaks a little bit about who Alan is right we are both pretty intense I actually would say most of our leadership team is pretty intense and we actually created a, a channel where we just it's like a you know, group chat I guess what you call it um let's sound like I'm coming from like you know 1982 or something <laughs> <laughs> we, have our, we have our little group chat for the executive leadership team. and if we don't have something important to share, like it's say like it's a no meeting Friday. Um, I'm I usually kick it off with a fun fact Friday and I'll just throw it out there to our executive leadership team and say, you know fun fact Friday, tell me about you know your favorite boy as a child. Um, And we'll share stuff like that. And so, you know, certainly I would say a long time ago, somebody said to me that they saw the world as two different kinds of people, know-it-alls and learn-it-alls. And I absolutely see and sort of pride myself on being a learn-it-all, but something that's a little bit more special than even a learn-it-all is somebody who learns it all and then is eager to teach it all. And so what I would tell you about the relationship that I have with Alan is that he doesn't have a ton of like exposure in HR. So he's asking me these questions regularly. He loves getting feedback, which I think is a fair thing for somebody who's been doing the same job for almost 40 years. He's our, you know, founder and CEO Um, and I love learning. And so as much as I can get in terms of the history, in terms of the history of our product or the history of our clients, this is the first job that I've had where I have been at the table with our clients and really just kind of like talking about you are an important client to us and we want to understand what your people problems are and we want to learn from you and we want to share our learnings with you. Um, And so that's been very, very cool.
0: I can't remember who we, I think maybe it was Melissa Wernick from Kraft Heinz and she was talking about how her organization is moving from a know-it-all culture to a learn-it-all culture. And whenever I think about that, I I don't know, I just feel like the more that you learn, the more you realize that you don't really know anything and the more that you have to learn. So I don't know, when you have a a CEO like that, that is, is willing to learn and ask you all the questions about HR, I think it makes a big difference. So I'm just curious, like if, if you could try your best to sort of read Alan's mind, like I know he's not on the call, but like, what do you think right now is, is like the number one thing that's on his mind related to the people at Bega? Um, that's
2: a good one. You know, I think actually we had a, um, leadership summit recently, where we talked about kind of that future of work and what our leaders felt was the the vision for our company. And I think Alan articulated it best. And it was top of mind for him is, you know, what are our people thinking and feeling in this moment? You know, and and if there is any uncertainty, it's really up to us as leaders to bring some clarity to people. And I think You know, if, if, if there's something, you know, that, that we could, you know, wave a magic wand on, I think you said earlier, it is really kind of like giving people that reassurance that, you know what, we're going to figure this out. You know, we're going to figure this out together where nothing's going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes together. And we're going to continue to A, listen to your feedback and B, adjust and and adapt. It's part of kind of who we are.
0: So let's let's move on to to rapid fire questions. so we ask these the same set of questions to all of our guests and um yeah so so question one how do you define a modern people leader? What are the traits and characteristics?
2: great um so people talk a lot about empathy and it used to be about vulnerability and I find those two words to be kind of shallow. I think they're both really grounded in people who listen, actively listen, and intentionally share. I think that a modern people leader has to be somebody who is good at telling stories. When I think about sort of the power of telling a story, and the fact that empathy and vulnerability are rooted in that, Right, to, to be vulnerable doesn't mean you just spill your guts, Right, it means to just share something that is personal to you. And I think Telling stories is super powerful. I've seen that happen with our ERGs, our employee resource groups, because it gives people not only a window to kind of who you are as a leader, but it also gives them an idea of where you came from and how your story might resonate with them. And it's when someone else can see themselves in you that they really start to gain some perspective and some confidence and some clarity around what the future could be for them. And so I think really listening, intentionally sharing and number one, being a really good storyteller.
0: I think that uh, early, you know, the first year or two of my career, I was working for Stephen, and I feel like one of the biggest pieces of advice that he gave me was no matter what you're presenting or who you're talking to, you always have to think about, the story. Like what's the story and why does it matter to them? And I've, I always go back to that in my mind. Anytime we're planning out these outlines or I'm giving a big presentation at work, it's like, what's the story and why does this matter to the people that I'm talking to? So 100% agree on the power of stories. All right. Question two, if you'd go back in time and talk to a 22 year old you, what career advice would you give yourself and why?
2: Ah, 22 year old me. Okay. So when I was around 22, I did receive some career advice that was pretty good. And that was, you should plan to go to work every day, prepared to be fired. Um, And I remember the person who said that to me, he was much more bold than I was. If I were to look back, I'd say, be more bold, take more calculated risks. I didn't know at the time what that advice meant when he said it but it was really about just like you know if if you if you're holding back on something because you think that it's out of line um of course there's a good way of saying things right but if you're holding back on sharing your thoughts sharing your opinion reacting to something in a productive way because you think it will maybe run against the grain that is probably the most important thing that you have to share and so for me being bold and 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 taking more calculated risks i think too many people wait too late in life to do that and so your question about kind of like looking back at being two and being new in my career, you definitely think about folks, just you know, think about that. Think about the thing that you're holding back and how that might be the most important thing that you have to contribute.
0: Such great advice. All right, last question for Rabbit Fire. Do you have any shout outs that you want to give to members of the the PEGA people team or even to just like the broader PEGA team like this is your moment to just shower people with love
2: oh great um well every single person who is part of what we call the PEGA family I would give a shout out to um but in particular because it is um women's history month I would say to all of the women at PEGA you are seen you are valued um and I am just so proud of the work that we have done together and the work that we're going to continue to do together.
1: Shout out to all the PEGA women. Yes. Doing all, all the great. <laughs>
2: Love it.
1: Love it. And say so a couple of rituals. Um, and, you know, next is the, you know, if there's one or two or three amazing minds in, in the people space, in the HR space, that you think their voice absolutely needs to be heard, a a spotlight needs to be casted on the the great things this person has to share, who would that one or two people be that you would want to recommend to have on the Modern People Leader?
2: I did have a chance to network with some folks um, last week in New York, and a couple of people did cross my mind. Uh, Probably the most exciting um, person who crossed my path Last week was somebody who is the chro at Marcia McAnen, um, and and the reason he's memorable to me is because he was super funny. Um, I would say <laughs> you know it. keep doing what you're doing in terms of um, in terms of um, just you know running this podcast is super awesome and inspiring to me. Just listening to some of your your previous ones.
1: Excellent. Well, thank thanks for the feedback, and we we will definitely continue doing this. And so that gets us to our last tradition. We call it one word close. It can be a word or phrase from the episode that uh, that we want to leave uh, leave the show with, or just kind of wrap things up in a nice way.
2: Sure. Um... So thinking about sort of like this one piece of advice that I always give my kids, and I think I I brought my kids up probably at the beginning of this podcast in the middle and now here at the end, they are a big part of my life. One thing that I always say to them is that you become what you give your attention to. So if you don't choose kind of, you know, the thoughts and the images and the words that you're paying attention to, someone else is going to make that decision for you. So I know that so many people tune into things like, podcasts so that they can sort of hear stories, learn, expand knowledge. I guess that's what we do when we practice or study anything, right? It is about kind of creating a practice, getting reps, building our muscles, mastering things. It's not about one single set of words or one person's story. But, you know, as I say to to my kids, you know, decide who you want to become and then give all of your attention to the thoughts and the ideas and master thinkers of that trade. um, And that will help you get there
1: such great advice. I and I love that. I'm going to go with a phrase tangentially related. I'm going to go with tell more stories cuz I love the the theme in this conversation, Kate. Just having these interpersonal conversations and communications, we take work so seriously, it's hard to not get caught up in the in the grind. And, and, you know, we need to talk and we need to connect and we
0: need to tell more stories. So that's what I'm going to go with. That's a good one. I'm going to go with, uh, we're all just figuring it out. I think it's important for people to remind themselves that the people that you look to as experts, or maybe it's it's the the most senior person on your team and they they seem like they just have everything figured out. Chances are they're just trying to figure it out just like you. So um, I felt like that was a common theme throughout the conversation. So that's what I'm going to leave the conversation with. Well, guys, thank you so much. This has been a ton of fun.
1: Kate, thank you for joining us on the Modern People Leader. Hopefully you'd be open to joining rejoining us in the future uh, if, if we're so fortunate. But today was an absolute blast. So thank you.
2: Thanks for having me. It's super fun.
0: thanks for for tuning in to another episode of the modern people leader we we really really appreciate it and if you enjoyed the show please leave us a five-star rating it would mean the world to us and connect with us on linkedin we want to we want to know what you think about the show and uh yeah you can you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes so thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode